Well, good morning. Uh, it's a great day to celebrate uh, the living Christ. And as Brandon was sharing, that the best thing today is eating lunch, and it's going to be a great lunch, but I think there is something a little bit better than that. Uh, we're going to be taking communion, which uh, causes us to remember who Jesus is, and we pray that this will be a great opportunity for reflect on who, who the living Christ is all about. If you're here for the first time, later on in our service as we take communion, it'll be kind of a self-serve experience, and you'll kind of see how that flows. And when you take the cup and the bread, um, if you know the Lord, take opportunity to call back to mind what God has done for you. Well, this morning we begin a new series, a series in the book of Ephesians. And, and this is a great book. In fact, some have said this is the, really the pinnacle of all of the Apostle Paul's letters that he wrote to the church. Uh, some like uh, looking at the book of Romans, a little bit longer letter in which God outlines the whole story of salvation as God brings people to himself. But Ephesians, in many ways, sees all of God's time and all of his purposes and all of his plans and puts it in perspective. And we just uh, finished a series called Design in which we've kind of looked at our lives and say, well, how has God made us? How has God shaped us? How has he put us together so that our lives might live out the purpose and plan that he has made for those who have been created by him and then remade in him in Christ? And so this is, this is a great uh, kind of a transition into looking at not only individuals doing it, but a church that attempted to do it uh, as best they could. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you don't, you can probably find one in a pew or a, a chair behind you or in front of you. Uh, turn to the book of Ephesians, which is about halfway through the New Testament. Uh, there's a whole group of little uh, letters there. If you find a passage called First or Second Corinthians, it's right after that. Uh, you have Galatians, Ephesians. And we're going to look at, even though your outline says, actually, we're going to look at three verses this morning. We're actually going to only look at two verses. I didn't actually put it right in the outline. And if you were here with us last week, I probably had 30 points. This morning, I only have three. So uh, God be praised, right? Uh, Let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we just pray as we look at your word that you might speak into our lives, that we might just hear from you, and you might prepare our hearts not only for communion and our lives for communion, uh, but really for the rest of the time you have left us here on this planet, so that we might live lives that really uh, reflect who you are to others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your outlines this morning, a simple outline that I've given you, I'd help you kind of follow along on what we're trying to talk about today. You know, one thing that's true about every one of us this morning, we all have a past. Would you agree to that? And we might describe that past in a variety of different ways. Um, maybe good or bad. And there's another thing that we could describe ourselves. We also has a, have a present. As long as you're still breathing at this moment, you, you're living in the present. Another thing that is true for everyone really on this planet as well, there's going to be a future. And so as we think about our lives, God wants us to be able to deal with what's happened in the past. He wants us to live in an aggressive, faith-filled way in the present. He wants us to look forward to our future. In our personal time with God, and Brandon kind of shared an emphasis on that, I'm, I'm so excited that junior hires are really working through uh, getting a habit of spending time in God's Word. As is, is you look at understanding God's Word, uh, there really are some simple rules you need to follow. And we used to emphasize just three of them. And, and they're pretty straightforward, but we kind of mess up sometimes the most simplest things we need to remind ourselves about. Uh, the first thing is when we read God's Word, we, we need to simply say, what did it say? So often we project our own opinions into God's word before we simply, what did the the text actually say as I read it? But after you look at what it says, then you go to the next step and what does it mean? And that 
is really the step of looking at, well, uh, that's what God has delivered to us in terms of words. Well, how, how does that impact my life? How did it impact the lives of the people it was originally written to, but particularly how does it impact my life now? In terms of what does it mean, and then the third thing is how does it apply in a very specific way? But before you ask those three questions, what does it say, what does it mean, and how does it apply, you need to really look at, well, who was it written to? What was the context? Because that will help you observe it well and interpret it well and then apply it well. Well, the, the church at Ephesus has a past. And it's a rather fascinating past. And I, I'm just going to tell you its story a little bit. If we were to turn to it, in fact, in your, in your studies this week, you'll be looking at a little bit of the history of Ephesus in, in Acts chapter 18, maybe into 19. But basically, Ephesus was a church or a community in which it was a rather significant town. In fact, you could call it a metropolis, a city. It was really well-known economically because of its commercial endeavors. It was really known, interesting enough, religiously as well. As we think about people encountering the truth about who God is and who Jesus is, we need to understand that, that some people come with kind of a blank slate. They haven't been thinking about God forever and they just, they just don't consider that there might be a supreme being running this universe. But the vast majority of people have some kind of religious ties. They, they, they worship something. And even people who don't worship God worship something that is most important to them. Well, in that particular place, Ephesus, it was a very religious place. It was, it was known for the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. And really what it was, it was a, a rather volatile uh, faith. In, in fact, the statue, the, the temple of, of Diana was four times the size of the Parthenon in Greece, if you've ever traveled in that part of the world. It was huge. It was not only a religious-making venue, it was also a, a very commercial venue as well. Much m- transfer of money was made in that particular area. But it was a male-dominated particularly religion because the... The statue of, of Diana was a multi-breasted statue that just stood for everyone to see. And the men would come there and they would worship with the temple prostitutes, though they would call them temple priestesses. And it was a rather avid place of all kinds of activity. Well, sometimes when you think about how could the gospel penetrate a land like that, we think that God needs to send one of his superstars, and and eventually he did. But when you really think about how the church started in Ephesus, it it started with a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, They they knew Jesus, and and Paul was kind of running through that town in his second missionary journey. He left off Priscilla and Aquila, and, and he didn't come back for two years later, and and they started that church. And they started that church simply because they shared their faith with, with people they got to know in that community. And no matter what kind of religious background, whether it was filled with the worship of Diana or whether it was just the worship of money, they presented Jesus and the hope that's found in him. And one by one, people began to turn to the gospel. And as you read the story, however, as, as once as people responded to the message of Christ and, and people made some dramatic changes in their lives, they, they gave up their old life and, and they had brand, began a new life in Christ. That there became great opposition to the message as well. 
as we could look around each one of us here, each one of us has a past. And, and, and some have come from a background in which they were so far from God because they never even considered God. And there are others who were raised in the church and, and they were almost overwhelmed by the stories and it became their parents' faith or their friends' faith, but it wasn't their faith. But there, there comes a point when each one of us has to decide, well, what do I believe about this, this man named Jesus? This man who, who entered in this, in this world and at least how the story is told in a miraculous way and by way of a virgin birth that walked around the dusty paths of Palestine and did the miraculous and said the amazing and, and captured people's hearts and minds, but then made reference that it was more than just a teacher or a prophet, a rabbi, a religious leader, but that he truly was the son of God. And, and as people responded to that message, just like they responded to the message of Priscilla and Aquila and later Paul, some with faith and some with opposition, that there came a point where people had to decide You couldn't stand on the fence. You had to decide, who is this Jesus and who is he to me? Jesus nailed his identity when he not only died on the cross, but three days later rose from the dead. And see, the message of the church is simply the message of good news, that that people are lost and God wants them found. Uh, That people are, are headed toward judgment and God wants them to be forgiven. That those who are searching for purpose and meaning and love and life, that, that only God who created them and then died for them can give them hope. And so that message went to the church at Ephesus. And, and as that church was birthed, they, they were facing much opposition in, in, a, in a land in which they were so enamored with their physical resources that they didn't want to become rich with spiritual resources. The book of Ephesians is an, is an interesting book in many ways by just even looking at the little words uh, in the text. The, the little word in, which is interesting, is pronounced in in the Greek as well as in the English, is used 90 times in this book. And, and it really kind of speaks to us as, uh, as to a people. As, well, what, what are you really into? Whether it's a who or a what, what are you into? Now, the 27 times out of the 90 times the word in is used for, it it speaks about being in Christ. And and as Paul writes this letter uh, from prison, there are what's called uh, prison epistles. And the reason they're called prison epistles is that there are letters written in prison. Paul is in house arrest in Rome, Acts chapter 28, beginning at verse 16, a little bit following after that. And he's writing while he's in prison, but he's writing full of joy. And he wants to write to people who are free, but to emphasize what true freedom is, is to be in Christ. So as we look at our past and we look at our present and look into our future, what God is going to always ask us is, what are you really into? And whatever you're into, are you all in? Because Paul often would speak to a group of people in which they maybe made some professions, but he really questioned whether they, they really experienced the true life that was found in Christ. Because their, not only their heart, but their life didn't seem to measure up to what they, they said they knew and who they knew. And so the book to people in Ephesus, it, 
a book that in many ways people think might not only have been a book written to that particular church, but was called a circular letter. Once they read it, they would send it on to other people, other churches, so they could read it as well. That it really spoke to people to say, hey, you can be special in Christ, but recognize that you are a needy people. And we often say that as, as people come in here each Lord's Day, that just by stepping into a place, a house of worship, speaks about, at least at this moment, about what your worldview is all about. Because you're coming in here saying that there's got to be something here that, that I need. No one ever comes into a relationship with God until they at first admit their need. And so God wants to take our lives and make something special out of it. But it, it begins with us admitting our need. Well, Paul writes a letter. In fact, in that day, particularly as you wrote letters, often when we write letters, we sign them at the end, don't we? Well, they sign them at the beginning. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see just how we could define ourselves as special this morning in the most simplest of ways. So if you have your outlines, let's, let's begin by remember some, remembering some things God wants us to hold on to. And here are my points to begin with. You are special because of who you know, you are special because of who you are, and you are special because of what you have. Well, let's look at what it means to be special because of, of who you know. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Often... In our culture, you become significant simply by being able to drop some names that other people recognize. In fact, if you're in some circles, if you can drop some names like their personal friends, all of a sudden your, your, your uh, value rises. I was reading, interesting, this past week, uh, Barbara Streisand was asked the question, if you could have a, a dinner uh, experience uh, filled with conversation with six people uh, in, who's ever lived on this planet, who would you pick? These are the ones she picked. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein, and then a few people most of us would not recognize. Edward Hopper, who's an American realist painter. Gustav Kinnett, an Australian sim, a symbolist painter. And then Fanny Bryce, an early 20th century singer and actress who she actually played in movies. You know, who would you pick if you could uh, choose to have a, a dinner out, have conversation with... And then be known as a person who knows that person and considered a friend. I went on another site and they had done a survey with this. It actually happened to be a, a pastor who decided that I, I want to ask my, my people who they would pick. Here were the top answers. For those who are now living, uh, it was Bill Gates, Billy Graham, Bob Dylan, and Pastor Mike. No, that wasn't on there. Okay. <laughs> They looked at people in the past and they said, uh, Abraham Lincoln, the Apostle Peter, C.S. Lewis, Martin Luther King Jr., and then the Apostle Paul. And I want to submit to you that as Paul wrote to that church in Ephesus, and as he was writing to them as the one who was the sent one, the messenger of God, and that's simply what the word apostle means. As he was writing to them, their significance was marked by knowing this man who literally changed the world using the message of Christ as the medium. 
the Apostle Paul is, is this an amazing man to consider. And I hope as we go through the book of Ephesians, you, you'll get to know him a little bit better. Not that you'll have a, a conversation at a, at a meal with, but, but letters are intensely personal. We, we live in an a age where there's all kinds of ways to communicate. You can text people, you can email people, you can have short answers on, a, on, your, on your cell phone. But the, the, it's become almost a lost art of writing lengthy letters. But when you write a lengthy letter, you, you begin to kind of capture the heart and the life of a person. And, and Paul was an amazing man. You know, other, other than meeting Jesus up, uh, up in heaven when we uh, get to that place of experiencing that place that God has prepared for us, I would love to spend time, extended time, with just hearing the story of Paul. Uh, Paul, Paul had an interesting background, if you know his past. He wasn't a person who had really very little thoughts about God. He, he was immersed in his religion, his faith. Uh, and even his background in, in the Jewish faith was one in which he knew much truth. Uh, in fact, because of his background, he probably was one of the, 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 the Jewish young men who, who memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. And, and from 13 on, he was trained by Gamaliel, who was the top rabbi of that day. And every day he was given that question and answer, question and answer, approach to making sure that not only he had read the text, even memorized the text, but had an understanding of the text. He had a father who was also Jewish, but also a Roman citizen. So he had a a dual citizenship, both in the nation of Israel and in the nation of Rome. But then there came a time as he began to persecute not only Christ, but his followers. There came a point where where Christ encountered Paul and literally shone the light upon his life. And he came to faith. And at that point, the man who actually was named Saul, named after the first king of Israel, who, interestingly, was a very, very tall man, taller than all his compatriots at that time, his name then changed to Paul. Uh, Paul probably, for a couple reasons, one, it more accurately described his physical stature, and also began to speak into this, this man who before, in his own words, considered himself so much superior to all the other um, rabbis of his day, much more learned and much more obedient to the, the, the letter of the law than anyone else he had known. But then later on described himself as the chief of sinners. And, and as we think about that, you know, so often... We look at others when we when you come into a place like this and, and we're wondering, do I deserve to be here? I mean, I, who am I? I I'm, I'm, I'm undeserving of, of what God has done for me. But here the Apostle Paul, who began to be used more than anyone else, took on the name Paul, which simply means little one. And even though he experienced God's grace, he always saw himself as one was undeserving because he was the chief of sinners. There is, a, there is some writings in the second century about what Paul possibly looked like. And it's uh, interesting to what they wrote down. It's, it's not in Scripture, but it's probably pretty traditionally true. He was small of stature, probably just a few cubits high. In fact, the estimate, he was about four foot six. 
Not necessarily stunning in terms of looks. He was bald before bald was in. Uh, he had crooked legs. He had a hooked nose. He had probably had an oozing from his eyes. Many people feel that the, the thorn in the flesh that God used to keep him humble was a physical disease around his eyes. He had a friendly countenance and was compassionate. But there was another thing that marked him. He had scars all over his face and the exposed parts of his body. See, when you meet an individual who's gone through the wars of life and come out compassionate and loving and caring and non-vindictive and not harsh and willing to give, you want to know their story. You want to get close to them because you want to see a person who wasn't determined by the suffering and the persecution of his life to become bitter. But because of his relationship with life and the giver of life, he is now so much better. There is a story told of King Arthur and his round table of of knights that when when they would go to war and, and they would come back and tell all the stories of battle. If, if any of the knights came back and, and they had no fresh scar, King Arthur would send them out again and say, get your scar from the battlefield. When, when we walk with God, there are going to be times where we experience the great joy of of walking and experiences his fullness. But when we put our faith on the line to be open and bold about what we believe, there's going to be times where we'll get the, the onslaught of rejection. Here was a man who went through so much, and yet his, his life was so filled with, with love that he said, if, if, I not, if I do not love, everything I do is worth nothing. Can I submit to you that... that you are special because you have this book. And, and as you read its truths and, and experience through the pages of this book, the lives of those who've known God, you are special because of, of who you know. But as Paul begins very simply with the phrase, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he then addresses whom he, he's writing to. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know the spiritual condition of every single person in this sanctuary this morning. But if Paul was writing to this church, he'd be, he'd be writing to the people, particularly in the church, who he could cl classify and call saints. Now, you think, well, that, that couldn't be me, that God couldn't, Paul couldn't be describing that. That could not be my label. It's interesting, I believe the, the word saint is used at least nine times in this little book of Ephesians. And every single reference, it simply is applied to those who have put their faith in Christ. In our day, in fact, in particular traditions, there are those who have to live certain types of lives before they get that label of being called saint. 
Usually it means that their life has to be examined and they have lived a completely pure life, uh, that their life is beyond reproach. There's no one who can point a bony finger at their life and say hypocrite and one has fallen short. It's also reserved for those who have been able to do that which is beyond the normal, that there are at least two verifiable miracles in their in their history. They, they've done something that could only be a, attributed to their ability by holding on to the hand of God and say, I have done the miraculous. But really in Scripture, the word saint is simply a person, and, and this is what the word means, that has now been set apart for God. And, and this morning, if you've put your, your faith in Christ, you can, you can honestly call yourself a saint. Because in the experience of knowing God, that's simply what God does. He, he sets you apart from simply being a person who lives in this world to be a person who now knows him and is headed for the world he's prepared you for. That, that he wants you to live a life that says that life has now been marked by a person who knows the God who created him and died for him. He's, she has been marked by a person who has forgiven them completely and gives them purpose in meaning in life. And so as you go through life, you, you, can, you can see that you are now special because God has now made you part of his family. Oftentimes, I, I, people ask me, you know, um, well, when, they're, when I either am I in my, in my life group or I just see them out in the community and, and they, they come into me, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to call me. Do they call me reverend? Do they call me uh, pastor? Um, do they give me a, an academic title? You know, that reverend, they call me doctor. You know, what do they call me? Um, and most of the time I say, just call me by my name. Just call me Mike. If you have to, just call me most reverend, uh, holy bishop. <laughs> no, no. Look, I, I'm, it's, we are all the same here. There, is, there isn't any difference between us and anyone else who know Jesus Christ. The, 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 the land is level at the cross. There, there is nothing that we should be looking at ourselves as, as more important than anybody else. If the Apostle Paul could describe him as, as, the, as the chief of sinners, then we need to recognize that in Christ we're all the same. As I think... Um, uh, when I uh, came here to begin a ministry at Grace Hills Church, I, I made a reference to the book of Revelation, which speaks about writing letters to the churches uh, in Turkey. And in it, it says that they wrote to the, the messengers, or actually the angels of the churches. And so, as you look at that, some look at that as the heavenly beings that maybe were the angels of the church, but more probable is that they wrote to the pastors, who were the pastors of the, the seven churches, uh, in Asian, Asia Minor. And so what I told people, if you really are searching for a title, you could actually call me Angel, all right? Angel Mike. But really, if you look at the word angel, the, the word angel simply means messenger. And so if you want to call me by a name, you can say Mike the messenger boy for God because that's all I am. And really, that's all all of us are. We are just his messengers. But that's a special, that's a special calling, isn't it? To simply be identified as a person set apart for God and for his use. 
we just went through a design series. And for those who are here for the first time, simply it was a, a series in which we, again, looked at how God has made us his workmanship. His work uh, shaped in his hands to be the kind of people he wants us to be, to live a life that people can see God in us. We're set apart for that. And, and so when we leave this place, every time we leave this place, whether it be at home or at work or at school, we represent God. And there is no more special calling than to see ourselves as set apart from him. So how are we special this morning? We are special because of of who we know, uh, even a man like the Apostle Paul who has done so much, and we can, we can take what he has written and see as it written to us personally. And then secondly, we can see ourselves special because of, of who we are. We're, we're saints, set-apart ones for him, to live lives that reflect who God is. But then thirdly this morning, we, are, we can see ourselves as special because of, of what we have. And this is found just simply in that, that second verse in Ephesians chapter 1 as we begin this book and we'll begin racing through it uh, next Lord's Day. Paul begins with a, a greeting that it's, that's really found in, I think, every epistle in the New Testament where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are special because of what you have. And what is it you do have? Among other things, you have Christ's grace, and Christ's peace. Probably my favorite uh, chorus that we, uh, we, we sing in the early services is, is your grace is enough. And what speaks to me about that is, is really the heart of the message of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through, sa- through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. The, the only reason that we have a relationship with God is because God has given us that which we don't deserve. It, it's God's unmerited favor. It's God giving us what we could not obtain on our own. It, it's that which God gives us to, to live life in him and through him and for him. The word grace is interesting enough used in a variety of different settings in the New Testament. In, in fact, in Romans 5.2 and 1 Peter 5.12, we won't be turning those passages, it's it states that those who know God live in a state of grace. It's like we never fall out of God's grace. We never got, fall out of God's favor. And that's so unlike relationships with each other, isn't it? When we tick somebody off, we're no longer in their favor. We are now uh, in a very uh, difficult relationship with them because of something we have said or something they have said, something we have done or something they have done. In God, in Christ, we live in a state of favor. In a state of God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3, it says that when we do things that honor God, we do deeds of grace. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 27, it says that, that we live um, and are able to do those things God wants us to do by the power of his grace. But I, I want to make just a couple of references to grace this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, that... that um, that God's grace is sufficient for us. And actually, when we are weak, then is when we are strong. So as we go through life and we go through the challenges of life and, and we feel that we're overwhelmed, at that moment, we need to run to God's undeserving favor 
and God's undeserving but abundant um, help. When you feel overwhelmed, that's the time when you recognize that you are so special that God has an unlimited amount of resources that you can depend upon him to go through life when it seems overwhelming. God's grace is sufficient for you. And then turn, turn your Bibles to James chapter 4, verse 6. Interesting passage as the, the half-brother Jesus speaks into the church. He says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the what? To the humble. And so at any time you're feeling like you're just overwhelmed, that you don't have enough of God's strength to go through whatever you're, you're doing, whatever help you need, and you feel like you're helpless, uh, you're at the right place to get God's energizing ability to live life to its fullest. That the only people who don't experience God's grace are the people who don't think they need it. But those who run to God, God gives more grace. He gives grace to those who are humble. We are special but a needy people. But we are special because of who we know and who we are and what we have. We have God's undeserving favor and help in our lives. But he also says in that passage that, that God gives us his peace. Now, peace is an interesting word that's also used in the New Testament in a variety of different ways as we think about what God does as it relates to us being um, those who have experienced his peace. And, and as we think about peace, it's, it's about understanding that uh, peace is that which is given for those who are in opposition to God and, and those who are in need of God's uh, presence in, the, in as they go through life. There are two distinctions made in, with peace. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 2, and then if you're turning at the same time, turn to Philippians chapter 4. In Romans 5, 2, it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is the beginning of your relationship or be, your experience with God. You, you've got to settle, do, do I have peace with God? And then if you have peace with God, you can experience the peace of God. The Bible describes those who are far from God, who, or even those who think they're close to God but aren't, as being enemies of God. That we're on a battlefront with him. And the battlefront is we want our way, not his way. And there needs to be something settled between us. Usually when people are in conflict, there's something that's causing that conflict. And the Bible says very plainly that conflict is our sin. And until sin is settled, and this is what the communion table is all about, when that sin is settled, then the, the separation between us and God can be bridged. And how is that bridged? When we're brought into a relationship with, with Christ in a personal way. Therefore, we can have peace with God through God's grace and appropriating that by faith. But that is almost like a, a, a legal agreement with God. We're, we're no longer we're his enemies. We're now his friends and part of his family. 
But, but how about when I go through life? I, I don't always experience God's presence. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. familiar passage to many of you and and paul is urging some people who are who are struggling and living out their faith and he he begins in verse four talking about not just peace but joy rejoice in the lord always philippians 4 4 and again i will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men the lord is at hand and then he goes on in verse six and seven says this be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace not with god now but the peace of God, and what is that peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. What is the peace that's beyond understanding? It's that experience where you see meet people and everything has happened to them. You know, their health has left them. Their financial resources are becoming severely depleted. Their, their future is murky because they don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe they have just lost a loved one. Maybe they don't know what the next step in their life is going to be, and yet somehow they're still filled with a peace that you cannot explain. And, and see, the, the peace that surpasses understanding is simply living in the presence of Christ in your life. You, know, you looked at Paul, you looked at Peter, their, their lives often were filled with anxiety and stress and, and danger. And, and yet when they recognized that Christ was with them, their lives were filled with peace. This morning, we, we wanted just to begin with a very simple introduction of this book. Ephesus was a fascinating place filled with religious fervor, but the message of Christ had to be sent to them. And many responded, but many rebelled in rejection. And Paul, as he writes back a number of years after the church was planted, and he was there for about three years, came back, wrote a letter, sent his, his uh Minister in training, Timothy, to be there for a pastor for a, a period of time. And he wrote desperately to them, saying, I just want to begin telling you that you are special. And they were special because they, they knew Paul. They were special because of who they had become, saints, followers of the living Christ. And they were special because they experienced Christ's grace, his unmerited favor, and that peace which surpasses understanding. What's the challenge this morning? Simply that we need to remember what God has done. We have a tendency to remember things we ought to forget and forget the things we ought to remember. And we're going to go to the table in just a few moments and we urge you to remember the things that need to be remembered. I came across a story this past week when this I closed. A man was on his way home with a new car, which was absorbing all of his attention when it struck him that he had forgotten something. You ever had that? Twice he stopped, counted his, his, his packages, searched his pockets, but finally decided he had everything with him. Yet the feeling persisted. He, there was something he was forgetting. When he reached home, his daughter ran out, stopped short and cried, Daddy, where's Mommy? <laughs> 
often people can say, where's Christ for you at this moment? Let's pray. Father, as we continue to worship and as we reflect upon the sacrifice that was made for us, might we never forget your grace is sufficient and your peace is ever available. Help us to live for you in a way that shows that we're set apart. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.